Well, there's three levels of leadership, right? The first level is, is understanding how to lead yourself, which, by the way, is not easy. What's shaking? This is All In with Rick Jordan. I'm your host, Rick Jordan. Today, we are going to dive deep for all of you who want to be in business, who want to move beyond that at some point. And before we start, I'm going to ask you to do something. Share this episode with at least three people because we like to reach more people. That's the only way that we grow is with your help. Share this out to people that you think will enjoy the content or even people that you want to piss off if you think they won't enjoy it. Whatever. All right. But we're going to rock into this here because today I've got industry influencer, coach, speaker, educator, mentor, and leadership discipler, Thomas Koretsky. Koretsky? Yeah. Hey, what's up, Tom? (laughs) Hey, living the dream in Southern California. Awesome, my man. Yeah, Southern... Sorry, go ahead. Southern California, I know. We we were talking a little bit before the show. I'm like, hey, do I detect a little bit of a New York accent there? Yeah, well, you know, I'm... uh, I got a long journey. I was born in Budapest. Then I lived many years in New York. So that's where I got my accent from. But more importantly, I got my attitude from New York. (laughs) So it's an accent and an attitude, which is even more fun. And that's what and matters, I just, right? Uh, traveled and lived all over the world, and uh, now you know that is Southern California. I love that, man. That's awesome. So you went from you were born in Budapest and moved to New York, and then you went on to California. But somewhere in there, you became this amazing expert and wrote a book, right? C Suite and Beyond. Yeah. So I uh, I was an international expat, uh, and I'm not sure if your audience knows who expats are, but expats are. I would say the military equivalent of business, you know, they send us overseas to fix problems. So I spent about uh, 20 years overseas um, in Europe, in Latin America. Um, that's where I actually, I actually lived in six different countries. Uh, but I've worked on every single continent except for Antarctica. And I'll pass on that one. So you'll pass, been, uh, I think a lot of people would pass on that one, except for the penguins, <laughs> right? Yeah. So what, yeah. what did, uh, you, you tell you, this is like an expat, right? This is the first time I've ever heard of this too, which is, I, which really? is odd. Yeah. So that this is like an elite force of people that go overseas to fix business problems. Is this a specific, is that the company expat or is that like whatever, you know, is it a segment within corporations? Well, it's it's both, right? It's it's basically corporations looking in their portfolio of who are the experts and where the problems are. Um, oh, you said so, expert, E X P E R T, or no, no, it's it's an expat, and you know, an expat basically says, "I'm going to send this executive overseas, and then eventually they're going to come back to where they started from." I got right. you. Okay. I thought a little bit of the New York accent was going to like, it's an expat, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but if you're not an expert, you're not going to be an expat either. So. <laughs> <laughs> I would think not. Yes. How does one become this expat? I mean, is it like one day you're like knighted as such? What happens? It's look in life. Everything is not what you know, but who, you know, so for Truth. me, my, my first expat assignment just happened to be, I was in corporate headquarters and um, I was, uh, everybody got to know my name in corporate headquarters. And when Eastern Europe uh, opened up uh, to multinational organizations, every single multinational looked inside their portfolio of, of employees and say, okay, who can speak the local languages? Because local languages yeah. are very important at the time. So out of 22,000 employees, four 
four out of 22,000 spoke Hungarian. <laughs> and, um, and I was in corporate headquarters. Everybody knew me. So they said, all right, we'll send Tom. Uh, you know, if I was born in Poland, there's probably about 20 guys ahead of me that would have gone to Poland because they were more experienced than I was. But uh, and, then, you know, then the expat world, once you get out there, it's kind of funny because you have a, a window of opportunity between two and three years. So they send you uh, into fixing a problem and then you either fix it in two to three years or you don't. If you fix it in two to three years, they say, out of boy, did a good job. We got something bigger and better for you. Or if you didn't fix it, they say, hey, Tom, it didn't work out. Sorry to see you go. Dude, this sounds more like the mafia than anything else. <laughs> for real. What, is it, you know, what were some examples of these types of problems that you would fix or not? Uh, well, it, it, I, I was either a turnaround specialist or a startup specialist. So it was either uh, going to Mexico, starting a new business. Or it was going into uh, Eastern Europe and fixing a business that was losing a lot of money. So it was always, uh, hey, you know, we need we have this. Uh, it usually started with a lunch. You know, one of the senior executives would bring into lunch, sit down, for, sit down for your lunch, and then you say, Tom, we've got this great opportunity for you. <laughs> right? And then, then, then you the kind of land in the country, and then you you start doing the, you know, start start exploring that opportunity. This is the mafia, for real. <laughs> it's, you're going here, you know. This is you don't have choice about it at all. But we're going to frame it in a way that makes it sound amazing. But if you fail, you're dead to us. Okay, that's the mafia, dude. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I had uh, you know I would I, after my lunch, you know, I would come home uh, with my wife, and I was I would dance that with the family and say. Hun, we've got this great opportunity. <laughs> and, then, and then every once in a while, my wife would say, you want to move where? <laughs> so I, uh, I actually said no once. I said no once to, uh, to, to an opportunity. And the CEO was, was, he was like, he had like a little tantrum. He was like, how dare Tom say no to me? So he powdered for about six months. And then something else came along and it asked me again. And I said, okay, I'll take that one. <laughs> all righty that's good that they didn't pass you by after saying no wow because i mean like chop you off of the knees or anything like that i mean you're making <laughs> me think that this is like some underground thing here or something i don't know man but yeah that's cool so around you know i'm looking at this like you're you believe in servant leadership principles right Absolutely. Yeah, that's and you know based on biblical foundations, and I've got a good spiritual background and foundation too. Is that where your book stems from too? C Suite and Beyond is with a lot of those principles of servant leadership. Well, yeah, it's a lifetime of experience, and you know when I I because I was an expat, I was constantly bouncing from church to church because every time you hit a new country, you got to find a new church. And one common theme that I found in all the churches that um, I attended in, in that local country where I lived there was this common theme of, you know, there's the secular business world, which is the wrong way of doing things. And then there's the right way of doing things, which is the church. Um, so, you know, that kind of bothered me. I said, look, you know, there's no reason why you can't run a business on biblical principles. Um, in, in fact, a lot of the leadership principles that we here today, a lot of the you know corporate culture words that we hear today, a lot of the values we hear today, they're biblically based, you know. And maybe some companies don't know that they're running their companies by biblically based principles, but they do. So that's why I kind of wrapped my head around it and writing this book and said, okay, well, if you take two companies and one you know selling identical products, um, identical markets, one is run by biblical principles, the other one's not. Uh, 
I would propose that the one that's run by biblical principles will always be more successful. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I believe that too. And I'm with you at the same time that you know, there's, there is a gap that exists between most of the church world and the business world and saying that the two can't mesh together. You know, and, I, and I've seen that, you know, and it's interesting because a lot of the people that are in churches and run churches have never run a business either. But there's, and, <laughs> and I've seen a lot of dysfunctional churches. Let me tell you. <laughs> For sure. Dude, there's so much of a business side to church too. You have yep. income revenue that's coming in. You have expenses, you have payroll, you know, you have to make sound decisions on where to go based on the amount of traffic, like literal foot traffic that you have almost like yeah. a, like a retail store. You know, there's so many similarities that exist there, but the principles, you know, the biblical principles are the ones that can actually elevate that and they can exist in either the church world or the business world you know it's, it's mind-blowing that it's like oh well this is it and then i, I love the the advice sometimes that you know a, a pastor will give a business person when they've never run a business person <laughs> or a business person will think oh the church should be run differently when they've actually never run a church because there's a huge emotional toll that comes with being a pastor too i've lived on both sides so i can see both perspectives and see that both just don't see each other man <laughs> they don't understand yeah. the other side and you know some somebody uh some of the things that i see in churches uh shortcomings is look when you look at a church you know most churches are quote unquote are an entrepreneur startup right? you, for you pastor, sure right? they you just call it something different that's all they call it a yeah. plant rather than a startup yeah so it's, it's a startup of you know a pastors started a church the church grew 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 and grew and and look that you know the the founder who's the pastor is is a charismatic speaker but he doesn't understand how to run a business, right? So some you know, churches that recognize that uh, become successful because they actually bring in a board and they bring in people who understand how to run businesses and let the pastor be the charismatic speaker that he is, right? Uh, the guys that kind of hang on and want to maintain control and really don't understand how to run a business, but they think they do, those are ones that don't do so good. For sure. You know, and there's interesting parallels too to the business world because everyone can expect a CEO to understand how to do all those functions and everything too. But a CEO might not be an operations person. A CEO no. might not be a financial person. A CEO might be the, just the person to say, hey, you know, just like the lead pastor, this is the direction that we're going. I know how to get us there, but I need everybody else to execute because I don't have the competencies in those areas. That's for you to decide and figure out and tell me and advise me. Absolutely. I love the parallels there, man. So uh, I'm kind of wishing at some point there might be, I don't know, but if there was like an expat for churches, <laughs> that would be <laughs> fantastic. Here, there's your next business idea, right? That's a, that's a billion dollar idea, but you know, I don't know if there many go. churches would pay for it, but anyway, well, look, <laughs> there, there is expats for, expats for churches. They're called missionaries. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on my man. Right. So the, your book, let's dive into this here, right? Why did you write this thing? You know, you've been doing this for so long. Did you write it while you were an expat? Did you write it after? You know, is this something that's been burning inside of you? Tell me the story of your book. So the way the book was born was um, as a public Are you still there? Oh, yep, you came back. There we go. Hey. All right. Yeah. So as a, um, as a public speaker, as a, you know, when you get up on, uh, when you get up on stage, 
uh, the best way to connect with audiences through personal stories. So I, I was building the database of personal stories. Um, and after a while, I, I realized, man, I got enough personal stories to write a book. So, so then, you know, I said, okay, well, how, how would I put this book together from all these personal stories that make sense? So I kind of looked at my life and said, all right, well, um, when I was successful and things were working well, um, you know, what was happening in my life and when, when I was failing, I was, when I was not doing well, what was happening in my life? So boiled it down to the, what I call the four keys of uh, leadership success. And then I asked myself another question. I said, all right, now with these four keys, is that unique to me? Or if I look at some other business leaders or successful companies, do they also have those four keys um, in common? And, and the answer was yes. So I said, all right, well, makes sense. So I kind of put all my little personal stories, um, really supporting and, and illustrating those four keys. And that's the book. <laughs> just right there, right? <laughs> Way to summarize it. All right. Anybody just go <laughs> find Tom, you know, where can we find you online, Tom? And we can buy your book. You know, I hope it'll take us long. I'm joking, man. <laughs> but no, <laughs> so yeah, you, you were, you birthed your book out of public speaking. I get that. And, you know, I'm totally with you that when you're on stage, the way to really start to relate to the people that are listening to you so that they begin to build trust and say, Oh, I want to listen to this person is through the personal stories, you know, and because it, not everyone's going to resonate with every single story that you say when you're on stage, of course, you know, but it makes you more human, more approachable, more believable, more relatable when you tell the stories about your own life, because even though it's, it's, it's a tactic when you're speaking, I use it too, you know, and everyone's like, Oh, is it fake vulnerability? No, it's, it's actually utilizing vulnerability as a tool to say, Hey, this is what I went through. And maybe you can grasp something out of the story, but it's going to lead into what I want to teach you today and bring value to you. You know, so absolutely. You uh, when you're the, an expat, I'm sure it's almost like I feel some days it's like almost every day. You know, I'm on a stage or something like that. Even working in a day to day in the business, whatever. But it's it's always training. It's constantly that way. And I feel that if you don't have any sort of like speaking within you, I, I don't know if you can necessarily be a COO. I don't know if you can necessarily be any kind of C-level whatsoever because people need to hear from you. They need to hear that you're a real person. They need to understand and you need to be able to communicate properly and inspire them. That's huge. Inspire them to carry out what we need to do for the organization. Did you ever see that disconnect when you were doing these things at all between the C-suite and the, the entire organization? Like there was just this block in between those levels? Oh, absolutely. I, I think uh, great leaders are charismatic leaders, you know, whether you're in business or, or outside of business. Um, you know, I, I say there's three levels of communication that I've seen in my life. And when I first started out in my career, I was on level one. You know, level one, you're informing. I would go into a conference room, I would do a presentation, and I would inform other people in that conference room of my ideas. Right? And I try to convince them why my idea was the right one and they should follow it. But, but that's never really effective, you know, because that's kind of a, a monologue. Um, and, and probably 90% of corporate presentations are in there. I mean, I've, I've been in corporate presentations where, you know, it's, it's an international setting. So people are flying in and flying out. But I've heard people snoring in presentations. <laughs> oh, Lord, me too, man. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Not in mine. <laughs> They never fall asleep in mine. <laughs> I've been in the right. audience a lot. And be like, yeah, you, know, you can't blame the guy. Just, you know, he just spent 10 hours in a plane in a different time zone. And, 
And here is in a, you know, a dimly lit conference room and he's snoring because the presentation is boring. It's not engaging, right? And and 90% of the presentations are all like that. And I was like, <laughs> and when I first 87 got slides <laughs> with, with super fine print on it, you know, say, yeah. you know, and all yeah. it is is just because the dude's unprepared to begin with. And those are really just their notes that they're throwing up there so they can stay yeah. on track. Oh my God, who's been there? I'm sure you've been there, man. That's when I want to well, sleep. Good I, God. I, I, I had, I had my boss do a presentation one time in a large audience, and uh, I think he had like 105 slides. I mean, it was crazy. Oh. <laughs> and, and, then, and then somebody asked a question after the 105 slides, and he goes, oh, I must have, I must have been, I should have 106 slides. Because <laughs> that answer never should have came up. <laughs> Holy mother. Good so, Lord. Um, but anyway, that, then you basically go to the second level, of, of, of which is called communication. Right. And communication kind of gets the audience involved. It's, it's more of the dialogue. You play with the audience a little bit. Um, and I, 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 you know, I went from, you know, the first level to the second level. And I remember I was doing a presentation, uh, if in front of about a thousand customers. Right. So it was pretty cool. It was, uh, we rented out the Museum of Fine Arts and, uh, had a big, you know, stage on there and tables and stuff, you know, all our products were kind of, intervened with uh you know the fine art uh, uh display there so it was it was pretty cool and I, I i thought i did a good presentation but then i kind of looked back on it and i was like well heck there was not one personal story in there it, it was really like facts and and figures and sales numbers and marketing jargon and you know i i thought i had it but you know i did right i i, I kind of failed on that one because really, really was level two and until you get to level three uh, and whether you're doing a presentation uh, because you're up on stage to a bunch of customers or maybe you're doing uh, a seminar on stage, or a workshop, um, maybe you're public speaking, uh, maybe you're, you're in front of your employees, you know, your, your C-suite of, you know, six or seven deck reports in a conference room. But until you learn to engage them and, and start tugging on their hearts uh, with stories that they can relate to and, like you said, um, and I, you just mentioned this a little while ago, they feel that you're human, right? I mean, I, I, this, is, this is not the greatest story to share, right? But I remember uh, many, many years ago, we had a, a sales meeting, right? And, um, you know, we had like all sales meetings, we had a great sales meeting. After that, we had a party and we were dancing and drinking until like two, three hours, two, three uh, a.m. in the morning. And I, the, the bunch of sales guys, made me do a bunch of tequila shots, which was a really big mistake. That's the best way to start any sales meeting. Come on now. <laughs> but, but you know, we over, overindulged. And, and the next morning, I, I woke up a little bit late uh, with a pretty, you know, nasty hangover. And, and I, you know, talked to my sales director, Paul, and I said, man, I, I should just fire myself. And he goes, oh, what the hell? I mean, for the first time, Tom, the people saw as you human. Because I was like this, you know, very proper business kind of guy. And everybody looked at me as, oh, Tom, you know, he really understands what he's doing. He's the expat, blah, blah, blah. And then Paul said, look, the first time they really saw you as a human being and vulnerable. And, and that kind of more than any other, you know, direction or, you know, whatever else I could have given that company. I think that's the biggest lesson from Tom today, everybody. Do tequila shots to be relatable. <laughs> yes. Doesn't matter, right from the stage, whatever. That could be your shtick. Tom does it, you should do it too. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, something though. Find something, right? To to have that common ground with everybody. Yeah, that, that yeah. vulnerability. 
yeah, you need to, you know, because otherwise, especially with somebody with your stature, you know, it's intimidating because you've got, when you're at a level, when you achieve a level of success or, you know, even at the beginning, whatever, there's still things that you've done that other people that haven't. And typically when you are brought in to be a public speaker or to be a coach, be an influencer, be a mentor, you are already positioned above everyone else that's in that room or above that individual that you're doing some one-on-one with. So you have to be able to not necessarily bring yourself down to them, but say, Hey, here's some common ground that we have and we can build on it from there. You know, if it's tequila shots do tequila shots, you know, that's fine. As long as it's not like some Jose Cuervo gold or some stupid <laughs> crap like that. Come on now. You, you want to be relatable, be like, <laughs> that's where you can bring them up to your level. Right. You know, make sure oh, it's okay. good tequila. At the end of the day, it's, uh, it's you know, we're human beings, right? Uh, we're not human doings, we're human beings. And uh, we relate to each other through, you know, experiences, other things. And early on my career, I, I never got that, right? I, I was like, I almost, almost had schizophrenic you know, personalities. At work, I was very professional. Um, you know, I was very responsible, uh, integrity, you know, delivering stuff on time, exceeding expectations. And in my social life, I, I was a party guy, right? You know, I'd go out on Friday night and have a lot of fun, and, but I never mixed the two, right? I, I said, okay, well, this is professional life. I, I really don't want to have friends there. Um, I'll have colleagues, and then I have my private life where I have my friends. And um, later on, I learned as, as I matured as a leader and, and as I matured as a, you know, an executive and, and business guy to say, look, in fact, if you do not form relationships at work, you're going to fail. You, you have to form relationships. You have to spend time. You have to go away in a, you know, on a weekend or a week and, and all the guys bring their wives. So the wives kind of get to hang out and say, okay, well, these guys work hard. They're real. Uh, you, know, they, the, you know, the Federico that Tom talks about all the time, well, he, he's, he's, he's a human guy. You know, he's, he's a nice guy. He likes to drink wine. He has fun. His wife is fun. So you, you build that. You know, <laughs> Sounds you, like you a Tinder of, account right there, man. Come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Likes to drink wine. <laughs> Have a nice one. No, no, no. Swipe right. There we go. So, yeah. So you, so you kind of build that, you know, you build that rapport, uh, not just with the, your, your colleagues, but also with their families, with their kids. And, uh, and if you, if you build those relationships, those people will go to bat for you every time. Uh, if you don't build those relationships, they, they will not go to bat for you. Uh, and that's something that I learned, um, and I had to really have a paradigm shift uh, as I became as, a, a more senior leader. That that's you know that's the only way it's going to work. When you're examining these companies, man, and going in to fix them at the startup or the or the, you know the shifting phase, I don't remember the term that you used. Uh, did you find people that were in leadership roles that should never have been in leadership roles? Absolutely. How do you well, identify and, and, them, and how do you say how do you break like saying you should have never been in this spot? Well, it's, it's most of the time, it's not the person's fault, right? Most of the time, um, every corporation has a habit of taking who somebody who's very good at skill sets and may put him in a leadership position and then not giving the tools to succeed. So they take a great salesperson and make him a sales manager or a sales leader and don't teach him how to be a sales leader. The guy's a great salesperson, but doesn't understand how to lead people. Uh, so I, I don't think you were born as a leader. I mean, some people have better leadership, you know, tendencies than others, but it's something that, you know, just like you can learn how to sell, you can also learn how to lead. 
just like you can learn how to market, you can learn how to lead. Um, and many companies make the mistake of taking somebody who's very good at doing something and then put them into a leadership role and they never had the experience and, and they don't teach them how, how to become leaders of people. Um, and so that's, I think, the, uh, the biggest downfall. And, and I've seen that so many times in so many that's companies. That's one of the I mean, dumbest moves, isn't it? I mean, you know, just dumb, stupid, everything is like your example is perfect because you see this a lot. I saw this a lot in retail also, man, because it, it was, uh, you know, when I was working for Best Buy for years, you could not be the GM of one of the retail stores unless you were a sales manager first, you know, and that's great because the concept was we need the GM to focus on revenue. That makes a lot of sense. You know, these yeah. it, it, common sense, right? However, these people that were good at selling sometimes... I mean, a lot of times actually never really made good leaders and never really made good managers. You know, it's almost like in hospitality too. You can have a server that's insane, right? Sell, I, mean, I get it's still sales, I guess, but you know what? Always upselling, always adding on the sides, always adding on the desserts, always getting the, the, the aperitifs on there, always getting the digestifs added at the end, selling multiple bottles of wine and cocktails all over the place, right? And they're racking up these bills, making these amazing tips and these amazing incomes. Like, you should be a leader. You should be a GM of this <laughs> restaurant. And then all of a sudden, the restaurant's out of business because they didn't know how to inspire people. All yeah. they knew how to do, which is okay, is how to fill their own wallet, which is awesome because they fit in a good spot for that time being. But then people are left scratching their heads and they're like, well, I don't know. You know, how, how did you w work with them? Like the people that made the decisions, this is crazy, right? The people that made the decisions to say, you do this good, so you should lead. <laughs> well, what are, what are, you know, one of the situations I walked into where they hired me to be general manager of a company. And uh, they were they were selling about forty million and losing about four million or forty million sales. Um, and then you know when I went, like the previous general manager was a sales guy. And after about two weeks, I said, "What's everybody else doing?" He was running around the country selling huge deals, and you know the other hundred salespeople were I don't know what the heck they were doing because you know this one guy was you know selling eighty percent of the volume uh, wrongly because he was selling at low prices and you know giving away huge discounts just to hit volume targets and. It's just kind of going into that company and using those four keys that I mentioned in the book and, and kind of looking at it and say, all right, well, what's missing, right? Um, their vision was missing. You know, they, they didn't really have a culture. They had a panic culture, right? Um, you know, they didn't have teamwork and, uh, and the strategic plan didn't align with the vision. So really in, in two and a half years, we went from 40 million to about 64 million in sales. And instead of losing 4 million, we're making about 3 million. So you know, and we did that in three years just by doing those four fundamental things. Um, so you, you see it all the time. You know, people, you know, you see it hairdressers. Great hairdresser opens a hair salon. Two years later, the hair salon's out of business because they were great hairdressers, but they couldn't run a hair salon. You see it all around you. Small businesses, you know, entrepreneur businesses, large businesses. It's, it's always the same. Dude, and that's, you hit on this. That's because they were never taught leadership. Yeah. Right? You know, the, I, I believe with you that there are innate qualities, you know, personality traits that you could be born with, but still, even with what I do, man, I, I've been through so many management classes, you know, when I was working in, in corporate America and other, I've submitted myself and joined leadership things. I read leadership books because I always want to be somebody that's able to 
legitimately lead, you know, not, not just the person that was good at doing something like we're talking here, you know, but what's that, what do you feel as that first step? You know, if somebody's, you know, that great salesperson or that amazing hairstylist that's sitting there and being like, you know what, I'd love to open my salon one day. What's the first step for them to be, to dive into this leadership exploration? Well, there's three levels of leadership, right? The first level is, is understanding how to lead yourself, which, by the way, is not easy, right? Um, figuring out, you know, what motivates you. You know, what, why do you get up in the morning? Why do you do the things that you're doing? Um, so you really have to get pretty sure of who you are, what makes you tick. And, you know, I've, I've got some thoughts on, you know, how I go about that. But the first step is, is being an effective leader of yourself. You know, so then once you understand how to lead yourself, how to be successful yourself, how to motivate yourself, then you can start uh, leading others where, the, you know, the first step of that is, is they have to buy into you as an individual, as a human being, right? If, if, if people don't buy into me, they're not going to follow me. We're back right? to the tequila then, shots, man. Yeah, go back to the tequila. Uh, oh, and the third one is, is basically when um, you start developing other leaders. And, and a lot of people are afraid of that. A lot of people are afraid of that because once they take themselves out, you know, they say, okay, well, if I develop really good leaders, what's going to happen to my job security? Right? Uh, I was talking to this young lady when I moved down to San Diego. And she was saying, yeah, you know, Tom, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, she was working for this pool company at the time, uh, spa pools. And she said, you know, I had a boss. She was wonderful. She was great. Uh, the department was fantastic. We were fighting on all cylinders, making all kinds of numbers. And then for one reason or another, um, she left. And then they brought in another leader and that didn't work. Then they brought in another leader that didn't work. And I kind of the whole department fell apart. So and I said, you know, that woman who, who you thought was a great leader, wasn't really that great of a leader because she, she, she got to the stage two really well where she developed a lot of loyal followers, but she never took the time to develop future leaders in her department. So when she left the company and she was taken out of the picture, right? Somebody in that team should have been ready to rise up to the top. It would have been her responsibility to make that happen. So she was an okay leader. But she wasn't really a great leader because she never bothered to develop other leaders. So I was never afraid of that. I mean, I worked for people uh, who, who were afraid. Um, in fact, you know, the first time I got fired after 15 years, it, it happened because the guy was insecure. And, you know, the company was rallying more around me than around him. And he was my boss. So that, you know, that was a lesson for me to, you know, about authority. And the, we, we can spend the whole podcast just on just on that lesson. Um, but some people are insecure. They think, Hey, you know, if, uh, if Tom is a better leader than me, or if I think somebody that works for me is a better leader than me, I, I should not be afraid, um, to, to develop them, to mentor them. Um, because one day, you know, Hey, I, I would love to work for somebody who sometime, you know, one time worked for me. Um, and, and if they're a better leader than me, you know, God bless them. Why shouldn't I work for them? Right. They'll do a better job than me. Yeah, that's a, that's a very secure position to come from too, but you're talking about ego right now. And that, that's, uh, that, that's a huge pull for a lot of people because it, it comes down to like, what, am I not good enough? And the answer can simply be, no, you're not good enough, <laughs> you know, cause it's, but it doesn't mean that you won't be good enough, but right now you're not good enough. And there's things that you have to do to, to develop yourself in order to be that person that can then 
lead others, you know, to raise up other leaders un- underneath you for sure. Because, and that's an okay spot to be too. That's also the thing is that it's okay to not be good enough right now, as long as you're able to take action and say, I'm going to be, and this is how I'm going to get there. Did you help people with that too, Tom, as far as bringing them up into the, into that realm and crossing those thresholds of those different level, levels of leadership? Absolutely. I mean, you know, you mentioned it's like Tom is a servant leader. Well, that's part of being a servant leader. If if I just uh, look at the back cover of my book, right? Back of my book, book uh, there's this gentleman that gave me a little endorsement of the back cover. Now he's um, he's the regional uh, president for Latin America for Peach Coffee, right? So he's he's running a one billion Love Peach Coffee. Week. I had some this yeah. morning. So, yeah. So Peach Coffee is owned by um, the. Um, John Bankiza group. Um, so, you know, I met Yuri a long, long time ago when we worked under a different division of that company, right? But it says, this is his uh, endorsement that I'm going to read. I've known Todd for many years and he has helped me tremendously throughout my career. And he's one of the reasons of who I am and where I am today. This is his endorsement, right? Here's a guy that used to be a brand manager when I used to be a general manager in a company. And um, he just recently retired um, as the uh, the regional vice president or regional president of Latin America. And I think actually it was much bigger than Latin America of a billion dollar business, right? Um, so if you pour into people, uh, but you gotta be selective, right? I mean, you know, you, you can't pour into every person because then you'll just be exhausted. So you have to kind of pick and say, all right, well, these three or four people, uh, I believe in them, I see something in them. Um, and that's, you know, how I got to, got my first break. I had a great boss and he saw something in me. I don't know what it was, but he saw something in me and he poured into me. Uh, that made a big difference early on in my career. And, and it's something that, you know, I've done pouring into not everybody, but, you know, selective, selectively taking people and saying, okay, I'm going to pour into them over the next two, three years. You know, it's not a five minute thing. And, uh, and then see what happens. That's awesome, my man. Tom, where can we find your book? Amazon? Yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere online, yeah. Beautiful. C-Suite and beyond. Tom, thank you for being on today, my man. I appreciate your insight into leadership. And it's I love these three thresholds that you have and crossing over to those things. And I've always said, too, that the last step of learning is teaching, right? And the last step of leadership is developing other leaders. My man, thanks for being on, Tom. All right, thank you. 